This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. On Money FM 89.3, The Washington Report with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief with The Straits Times. Money FM 89.3, good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang with you. It's time now for a Washington Report. Now, after months of negotiation, mostly overnight late Zoom calls, U.S. President Joe Biden's ambitious infrastructure plan is just steps away from being realized as senators are expected to move forward on the sweeping $1 trillion package today. So what we have in the background really is the entire U.S. economy, all $20 trillion of it, uh, relies heavily on infrastructure in one way or another uh, through transportation, power grids, high-speed internet, ports, roads and bridges. But much of this has not been updated in decades and the delays are causing threats to uh, health, security and GDP. So the bill is a cornerstone or was a cornerstone of his 2020 presidential campaign and prioritized passing legislation within the first year of his term. But Joe Biden's victory on the much-talked-about infrastructure bills being overshadowed by the Delta variant of the coronavirus. Cases creeping up in the United States and it's now got a new epicenter in Florida reporting 21,683 new cases on Friday. Now, that now accounts for about one in five new virus infections in the entire United States. So let's get some context at this. Online helping us out, Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at the Straits Times. Nirmal, good morning. Let's uh, start off with this infrastructure deal. Could you break down the spending of this package and, you know, what could potentially throw a spanner in the works and prevent this from going ahead? Good morning. Yes, it could fall apart at any moment. It's one thing to back a procedural motion and another to back the final package, and they're still ironing out the details. And frankly, things are not like they were before. There is a trust deficit. Each side distrusts the true motives of the other, and that makes it difficult to be partisan. These are hyper-partisan times. So there is that underlying factor that, in fact, cuts across all issues. But this is a big deal because if it passes, that will trigger a generational injection of funds into infrastructure and also create a lot of jobs. So the bill is $1.2 trillion, though in reality it will only include $550 billion odd in new spending, with the rest previously approved spending. So the expectations are $110 billion for new roads and bridges, that's the biggest, then $73 billion to move from fossil fuels to clean energy and upgrade power infrastructure, $66 billion to address deferred maintenance on Amtrak trains and expand and modernize the rail network, $65 $65 billion for high-speed broadband internet, $55 billion to replace lead pipes and service lines and provide clean drinking water, which many poor areas do not have, $50 billion additional for weatherproofing infrastructure for climate change and also against cyber attacks. And then there is investment to modernize and improve public transport, that's $39 billion, $25 billion for airports, which badly need it, $21 billion to address legacy pollution like chemical dumping grounds, abandoned mines and uncapped oil and gas wells and so forth. $17 billion in port infrastructure and so on. All right, Normal. I mean, I want to talk about why uh, the country needs these infrastructure fixes. You just mentioned a lot of it needs updating, but really, why haven't previous leaders prioritized this? 
Well, they have prioritized, or at least they have tried to prioritize it. But you can blame it on Capitol Hill's infamous gridlock. This is serious business, but it is also basically pork barrel spending at one level. And number one, how do you pay for it? And number two, neither side on the hill has wanted the other to take credit for the job creation that such massive investment would entail. But there is also complacency, of course, and that is systemic and structural. As Transport Secretary Pete Buttigieg said some months ago in April, I think, the, the U.S. has been coasting on infrastructure decisions made in the 1950s. Infrastructure has been chronically underfunded, and that is complacency. European countries, for example, typically spend about 5% on their infrastructure, but the U.S. spends less than 3%. Now, there is a consciousness that this is the chance when the Democrats have both houses and the White House that this can actually be done. The U.S. can make infrastructure choices now, which will go down well with the American people, choices for the future well into the 2030s or into the middle of the century. Because if things are allowed to fester, they will only get worse and they will pay for it eventually one way or the other. Just traffic congestion, just to give you one example, costs the U.S. economy well over $100 billion annually. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Uh, I want to talk about how the bill doesn't include funding for climate change and social initiatives. These, which the progressive flank of the Democratic Party have been pushing for, uh, Democrats have included those measures in a separate $3.5 trillion package, which they will seek to pass without Republican support. Wait a minute, how, how will that work out? Right. So the second separate $3.5 trillion plan is for investments in childcare, paid leave, education, and climate change mitigation and adaptation. The idea is to pass that through a process called budget reconciliation in which the party in the majority just gets to do it, basically simplifying it. But every Democrat in the Senate will need to support the package to pass it without Republican votes. And as you say, the majority is razor thin. Some Democrats like Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, who led the negotiation on infrastructure, have said they want a smaller final bill. Again, one of the key questions is who pays for it all? Are they going to raise taxes? Raising taxes on the wealthy may be a good idea, but invites opposition. We're getting a Washington report right now from Nermal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for the Straits Times. Nermal, switching tracks to the COVID-19 situation in the United States. We've got a surge in infections in Florida, and that is now being called the new COVID epicenter in the United States. Uh, Could you give us an update on the situation there? So Florida, of course, is a Republican state. The fact is that the new COVID-19 wave, which is powered by the super contagious Delta variant, which finds fertile ground in unvaccinated populations in particular, is affecting red states the most because they have the most unvaccinated. That is Republican states. And Florida is a prime example. The political leadership of Florida is against masking. Governor Ron DeSantis has actually told schools they should not ask students to wear masks. Congressman Matt Gates has been on a so-called freedom rally tour in which he tells the crowds he doesn't believe in all these variants and vaccines and whatnot. They paint this as the tyranny of the scientists. They see Dr. Anthony Fauci as a sort of Dr. Strangelove-like figure. Well, the result is what you said. Florida is now the epicenter. Florida reported 21,683 new coronavirus cases alone on Friday, which was the state's highest one-day total since the start of the pandemic. 
I'm glad you brought that up, you know, uh, because if we take a wider view of the situation of the, the, you know, how the U.S. is struggling with the Delta variant, you've got lots of cases in Massachusetts, high numbers as well in Texas, a lot of the southern states where vaccination rates are slow. President Joe Biden has set new rules that will require federal staff to wear masks and be vaccinated or face regular testing. So, I mean, tell us more about this tougher stance that the White House has shifted to. The Massachusetts outbreak was the key in this. It showed that even the fully vaccinated can get COVID, especially this Delta strain. And even if they don't themselves get ill or they get ill, but not severely ill requiring hospitalization, they still carry the virus in their air passages so they can spread it to others. Now, if everyone is vaccinated, then everyone would get mildly ill, hypothetically, but not everyone is vaccinated. One third of the American population roughly remains completely unvaccinated. And you have very active anti-vaccine and anti-masking views among people like those in Florida. 99% of those hospitalized are the unvaccinated. So the data is very clear. And the White House lost patience. This new resurgence threatens the economic gains of the past couple of months. That is bad economically and politically, not to speak of public health. One additional feature of this wave is there are many more young people, children from the ages of two and three and up being hospitalized. So they decided it is time to crack the whip and they have unrolled a bunch of incentives as well as disincentives, carrots and sticks. A few hours ago, we saw Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health, saying there is sound public health reason for requiring kids to wear masks in school. It is common sense. But masks have become such a huge issue here, as we know. Essentially, it's about individual freedoms versus collective rights. It is a cultural issue, and it has become hugely political. That's why President Biden keeps saying masks are not a political statement. He pushes back against this entrenched divide. So there has been some hesitancy over the messaging, because if you highlight the fact that the vaccinated can also get and spread COVID, that reinforces the messaging of the anti-vaxxers. But this past week, seeing the data, the CDC and the White House clearly see that it is worth the risk. And they are also being more forceful advocates of vaccinations. And it is having some results. We are seeing corporations like Disney and Walmart, for example, saying their employees must vaccinate and or must wear masks. But still not a happy situation. Very risky. Schools are going to reopen next month. Many have said students must wear masks indoors, whether they are vaccinated or not. And the very young are not vaccinated. Yet we are seeing young children hospitalized. So bumping up the vaccination rate, not just bumping up, but more like doubling it, that remains the best weapon. And yet places like Florida, like Texas, they are lagging. We've been speaking with U.S. Bureau Chief for the Straits Times, Nirmal Ghosh. Nirmal, appreciate your time. Take care and stay safe. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.